Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, we're in the third week of a series that we're calling uh, Greater Than. And uh, in this series, we've been taking a high-level look at what it means to be faithful uh, or trying to describe what faithfulness uh, looks like. And and we've framed our discussion uh, in terms of these greater-than statements. And uh, what's been great is that each week we've had uh, a piece of artwork to kind of go along to provide a visual uh, for the, the uh, subject that we're kind of tackling and looking at. And uh, so here's this week's. Um, this is our series graphic here. And then right here is our, uh, the, the thing for this week, the painting for this week. And uh, I just want to say a huge uh, thanks to Melissa Poppy for her beautiful artwork. Uh, can we show our appreciation to her? Uh, and, and here's, uh, here's what, she's actually serving in eKids today, uh, and so just a servant's heart again. Uh, but she has provided just uh, these beautiful visuals uh, for this series, and, and what I've been really struck with is how powerful a message can become uh, when it is both heard and seen. Um, it, there's just this sense in which I, I feel like uh, the paintings in some small way, I hope, have been enhanced by the message, uh, but also the message enhanced Uh, with the painting. And so uh, big thanks to Melissa and for her hard work. Uh, I want to kind of recap where we've been so far. In the first week, we talked about uh, how curiosity is greater than certainty. Uh, And in that week, we discovered that being faithful is not not equal to being certain. Uh, That is to say that an honest faith journey will lead to questions, sometimes doubt, uh, even what has come to be called deconstruction. Uh, but what we learned is that we can, we can go through those things, we can go through those seasons and still keep Jesus. Uh, because a far better way of understanding uh, the biblical terms of belief and faith, uh, which is really just one Greek word, is, is what we have come to know is like, as trust or allegiance. And so faith, that is to say, isn't being more certain about what you believe, but rather faith is trusting God. And we kind of talked about the difference between trusting and what we believe about God versus just trusting God and, being, uh, and having allegiance to God. Uh, last week, uh, or the second week, we talked about love is greater than fear. And last week, in the message last week, what I attempted to do was I attempted to show that when we are motivated by fear, it's very easy for us to be led down paths uh, that create a narrative of us versus them, right? It's kind of us and them. Uh, Or it can also lead us down paths of hatred or violence or the approval of violence and ultimately what is called scapegoating. Uh, But where we landed was, is thanks be to God, God in Christ became the scapegoat, revealed the ugliness of that whole system of fear, and then conquered it by the way of self-giving love. And so quite literally what we see with Jesus on the cross is love conquering fear. And so, the, and so what the gospel ultimately is, is an invitation to be motivated by and to live according to love and not fear. Uh, and what I want to talk about this week is, as we finish our exploration of faithfulness, is I want to look at the statement, we is greater than me. We is greater than me. Uh, and this may seem obvious uh, at the start, right? We might say, oh, this is, you know, kind of 
the necessary last one, right? <laughs> but I really think that there are some important truths that we can learn uh, as we explore this together. So uh, I want to I read from Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 1, and read all the way through verse 11. It'll be up on the screens, uh, but today I want to actually read from the NRSV. So if you pull, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're clicking there in your app, make sure it's, uh, you kind of click the version to NRSV. Uh, and the, the pew Bibles in front of you will not match this morning because uh, I want to read here Philippians chapter 2 from the New Revised Standard Version. A uh, little bit about the NRSV. Um, it's, got, it's just a really great translation. It's kind of the, what I consider to be the best mix of readability and accuracy. Uh, has, it includes all the right gender inclusion terms and things like that. And also, I was brainwashed in seminary to love the NRSV. Like, if you didn't love the NRSV, you couldn't be admitted. And so it was just also one of those things where it's come to be my favorite. So um, speaking now from Philippians chapter 2, a reading, uh, I want to read it from the NRSV. It says this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy... Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being uh, full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, we've been talking about what faithfulness looks like. Uh, what does it mean to be faithful to God? Uh, but it occurred to me that as I was planning the series that when we think about faithfulness, we often think about faithfulness in one direction. And that is, we tend to only think about faithfulness in terms of our faithfulness to God. What I want to do today is, and I think what we'll discover as we look at New Testament writers and we kind of get a sense of the big picture of what they're trying to get across, is it leads us to this rather astonishing discovery. And that is, is that faith is not just to be directed toward God, but our faith is also to be directed toward other people. That our faithfulness has something to do with the people that we are around, that the people that surround us. In other words, we, we're living in such an individualistic culture where it's kind of all about me, right? Uh, what we get a sense of sometimes is that, that we, we make our faith journey only just about me, or we say that my, my spirituality is just between me and God. And what I want to help us see this morning is that faith is a community word. It's a community word. That, that faith is something that is to be lived out and worked out with other people. Uh, the, you've heard me say in the past that truth is, is best discerned in community, 
Right? And that's part of what I'm talking about. The, the, the way in which we practice our faith, the way in which we work it out, is not just a me and God thing. Right? Of course, there's an element of me and God, but, it, but there's, it's not uh, in lieu of those people around me, that faith has this kind of communal element to it that sometimes we overlook. The other thing that's important to see is that faithfulness to God therefore has implications for how we see our neighbor or how we treat our neighbor. So, do you get a sense of what I'm trying to get at? That faith, both the practice of faith is a communal thing, but my faith also should have an effect in the people around me and how I treat them and how I see them. And so regardless of how we view it, faith is always a we word. You with me? Faith is always a we word, not just a me word. And what's so capturing about Philippians chapter 2 is that it actually paints a picture for us of, what, of a community that is in Christ. Right? So, so Paul here is writing to the Philippian church, and, he, and he's beginning to describe what their communal life should look like, what their, what their life together could kind of look like, right? And, and he, he puts it in, in rather astounding terms. <laughs> you kind of think, uh, I'd like to go to that church because I don't know that that church exists, right? Where we're all of one mind and we look to each other's interests above others, you know? Some of you are like, I would love to go there, <laughs> And so he paints a high picture. Well, the chapter begins with what appears to be a question, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Uh, however, uh, the if there is not meant to be a question, but rather it's a conditional clause that is used to lay the foundation for a request, which is really just a fancy way of saying, instead of if, just put a sense, right? Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation in love, since there is sharing in the same spirit. And so he paints this picture of encouragement and love and sharing and compassion and sympathy. And, he, and he's saying, since these things are true of you, this community that is in Christ, right? That's Paul's, that's Paul's kind of pastoral MO, is he's always trying to speak to people about what is true of them in Christ. He's always trying to speak to them kind of toward the truth. And so he's saying, since these things are true of you in Christ, then let me offer and lay out some, some instructions or some requests. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, regard others as better than yourselves. Look to the interest of others. And all the Enneagram nines were like, yeah, that's every day. <laughs> that's called Tuesday, right? And then all the Enneagram 8s were like, do it my way, that's the rule, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so what Paul does is, uh, I want you to look at your notes here that are provided in the insert. I think that there's a, this um, commentator that provides really helpful information about this passage. His name is Fred Craddock, and he says this. Uh, he says, Paul regarded as inappropriate to the body of Christ the selfish eye, the pompous mind, uh, the ear that is hungry for compliments, and the mouth that spoke none, and the heart that had little room for others, and the hand that served only self. Wow. That's a pretty tall order, right? And we begin to kind of wonder, is there, is there any way that this could actually be achieved? Could I actually live in this way? Could I actually be of a part of a community that's doing these things? 
And then those of us who kind of our personality is kind of more uh, oriented towards self and we kind of tend to be like, hey, w- w- the, this is the way that I do it and this is the way I like to do it. Uh, he, the, the commentator Fred Craddock goes on to say, Paul is not opposed to individualism in the sense that one is responsible for oneself or to bear, one another, to bear one's own burden. But if, if minding your own business meant an unwillingness to bear another's burden or a distancing of oneself from partnership with the gospel or an aloofness to common joy and suffering or a coldness in all the ways that we are members of one another, then such individualism is destructive of the community and a contradiction of the gospel which speaks of and sings of a Christ who first and always is the servant to others. Now I know that's a lot to take in and that's why I've I've provided it for you there in your notes. But I want you to see that that kind of the spirit of what this passage is, is capturing is an orientation not toward me, but an orientation toward we. Uh, this, by the way, is what makes a good band member. <laughs> okay, so um, until I started playing the drums a couple years ago, uh, and this is true, I had never made music in my, with another human being in my adult life. Now, I've sang together, uh, but I had never played an instrument like in a group setting. It was always just me making noise, right? And so a couple of years ago, uh, I began to bang on the drums and kind of chase this lifelong dream. And the first thing you gotta learn is the money beat. The money beat is the kick on one and the snare on one and three and the snare on two and four. And if you can learn the money beat, you can play any worship song in the world, right? It won't sound as good as when Bobby does it, but, it, but it'll sound all right, okay? And, and, and so you can, so I, I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm here at the church uh, on my lunch breaks and I'm learning the money beat, right? And then you add the eighth note on the hi-hat and you kind of, you, you get this down and I'm like, all right, I'm ready, you know? And, and the, the, this, was, this was at a time, like when you're the pastor, you can sneak onto the worship team and still not be very good because you could just be like, hey, I'd like to join the worship team. And what are they going to say, right? So, so I'm like, I'm going to chase this dream. And then, here's what I learned, you know, like I used to think all about the drums, all about me because I got the money beat, right? And then, and then what you quickly learn, especially in a room this size with concrete walls, uh, is, uh, hey, Andy, the sound guy would gently say, you're playing just a little loud. <laughs> you know, and, and so part of what, here's what I'm trying to get at, part of what makes a good band and a good band member is an orientation toward we and not me. Part of what it means to kind of gel together when making music is having an ear for how does my little part work together with all the other parts, Right? In other words, it's kind of this way of saying it's not just all about the drums, that the drum and the bass need to dance together. You know what I mean? They need to meld, they need to mesh together, and along with the vocals and the guitars and all the other pieces. And so what, what, what the, what the, this is essentially what Paul is trying to get at, is that having the mind of Christ is an orientation not just purely toward myself all the time, but having the mind of Christ is having an orientation toward other people because Christ was obedient to take first become flesh empty himself become obedient even to death on a cross in other words what these opening verses of Philippians chapter 2 do is they paint a picture for us of what faithfulness looks like in a group 
You with me? Because a lot of what we've talked about so far in the first two weeks is kind of what faithfulness looks like for me. But we haven't talked a lot about what does faithfulness look like in a group, in a community. And and Philippians chapter 2 gives us uh, a a picture of that. And I don't want to go just right down the list, but I I began to think to myself, like, what are some ways in which this might play out in our everyday lives? And I'd like to take just a moment to kind of explore some of those things. And the first thing is that Paul talks about how Jesus humbled himself. And I began to think about what would it look like for us to live with humility? Uh, and what does real humility look like? And, and I can say that um, I think a lot of Christians, uh, because we kind of recognize that there's this brokenness, this sin problem that needs to be dealt with, I think a lot of Christians also struggle uh, with self-loathing or self-hatred, right? That, that sometimes the default setting for Christians is I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible sinner. Um, and, and so humility then is not self-hatred, and, and humility is not thinking poorly of yourself, but rather humility, and I want, uh, let's watch the turn of phrase here, the flip. Humility is being confident in who God has made me to be and who I am in Christ so that I don't rely or have to fish for compliments or the praise of others for my own assurance or for my own motivation. Do you hear me? Humility is the ability to be comfortable in who God has created me to be so that I'm not constantly fishing for compliments to motivate or assure me. So actually, actual humility, true humility comes from a confidence. And sometimes we just think of, so what this means is that I can operate sort of in a community, like I can be, I can be nailing the drum beat, but I don't have to seek out praise. I struggle with that. <laughs> on the, on the, like if you were to see me on a Wednesday night band practice and I just like nailed a song and a drum beat and I had been practicing and I got it, I, I raised my hand, I'm like, hey, just so everybody knows, I nailed that, okay? Right, so, th- so this is something to work on, right? But it's, something, it's, this, it's this sense of we don't have to be fishing for those things because we're, we can rest in who God has designed us to be. That's humility. Nailing the sermon. They're nailing the sermon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's good. Thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> also, it kind of references like this, this orientation toward others, this thinking about other people. Um, and I was, just, I was just realizing, isn't it a beautiful thing when someone puts themselves in your shoes and says, that must be so hard, or you've worked so hard for this, you know? Like, I, I've had these moments where uh, maybe, maybe I'm doing something in the background, and I'm pushing, and I'm working hard, and it's difficult, and it feels like I'm just all alone, and then someone will come to me and just in, in a moment be able to kind of see behind the scenes and recognize what it took to get there or what it's like to be where I'm at, right? And, and I think thinking of other people is this, is this genuine, authentic, kind of beautiful ability to look at someone's circumstance and, and then see it for what it is and be able to identify and say, man, that must be so hard. Um, I think that's, that's an orientation toward others and not ourselves. Uh, vulnerability, uh, also, also I think what the piece of this too is vulnerability toward or with a trusted community. Um, that one of the key 
one of the key elements of being in community with other people is actually being willing to risk being vulnerable with others, right? Did you hear that? One of the key pieces of being in community with other people is actually being willing to risk being vulnerable with other people. And, and make no mistake, it is a risk. <laughs> it is a risk to be vulnerable with other people. And I would be willing to bet that some of you could tell a story of when you risked being vulnerable and instead of being met with, with grace and support and love, it, it was met with judgment uh, or something else. And, and all of a sudden you felt this is not safe, right? And, and now as a protection, you say, okay, I've learned I don't, I'm not gonna be vulnerable with anybody, okay? But part of, part of living into community part of practicing faith with other people is finding a trusted circle. It could be your life group. It could be a circle smaller than your regular life group. In other words, it could be a selection of people from your life group with whom you have a trusted circle and with them you can be vulnerable and take that risk. But it is a risk. But it's also beautiful when that vulnerability is met with safety, understanding, and support. A couple other ideas that I want to share is, is choosing to see the humanity of my brothers and sisters. Um, isn't it true that when, we're, um, that when we commune with people, when we're in community with people, it's kind of, as long as everything appears okay, uh, we're, we're good to go, right? As long as I appear okay, as long as they appear okay, uh, then, then we can kind of, this is good and this is healthy and this is okay. But as soon as someone who reveals something about themselves or a struggle, uh, then we kind of lose sight of the fact that they are still human and a person of unsurpassable worth, right? We're, we're kind of like, oh, I'm in community, but, but, but now that this has come out, uh, now that this is revealed, now that this is unveiled, uh, then now all of a sudden it kind of fundamentally changes things. And, and I think part of what it means to kind of be faithful in a community, in a group, is, is kind of recognizing that when we see that struggle or when we see that pain or that thing is unveiled, we can just be able to say, I'm going to handle that with grace and, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to show support in ways that I can because I'm going to see your shared humanity. That regardless of this thing, you are a person of unsurpassable worth. Okay? And that's really, really hard to do. It's really hard to do. And then compassion. And I was trying to think about, like, what does compassion actually look like? Or how can we define compassion in a more compelling way? And, and compassion is, is, and this is what I came up with. Compassion means we hold our convictions in love and we prioritize relationship over ideology. Uh, compassion is when we, we hold our convictions, but we hold them in love and we prioritize relationship over ideology. Um, I think that is when real compassion comes out. And so, uh, I know, uh, let, let's keep going. Uh, Paul says something amazing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, chapter five, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Now, we've been talking about like what is faith and what does it look like to be faithful, and already this passage kind of makes no sense if faith is just certainty of belief, Right? The only thing that counts is being certain of doctrine working itself out through love. 
Hmm, well, that doesn't work because working through love sounds a lot like kind of action in the world, right? And, and if we understand faith as certainty of doctrine, then that happens up here. And so all of a sudden there's a disconnect, right? And so we kind of already we can begin to see that what he's talking about is this trust, this, this uh, allegiance to God, this, this practicing of faith in a community. Uh, in other words, Paul isn't saying that you have two things going on. You have your faith that you believe in your head and then love that you show towards other people. What he's essentially saying is that faith and, and our faith and our love are two sides of the same coin, right? That they work together. They're like the drummer and the bass player. <laughs> they, they, they work together. They dance together. And so, but here, and this is like a, a little lesson on your Bible. You're, pay attention to the footnotes in your Bible because that can unlock new worlds for you, right? There's a footnote in your Bible that probably, on this verse, that probably has an alternative translation. And if you notice, that alternative translation probably says this. The only thing that counts is faith made effective through love. Ooh, that's even better, right? Our faith towards others is made effective through our love. Our faith towards others is made effective through our love. And so faith is a we word, not a me word. And faithfulness is so much more than just my personal relationship with God, but my faith includes my faithfulness toward other people in all the ways that we've talked about. Or in other words, we is greater than me. Now, let me borrow a line from Steve Jobs, who used to say this in product reveal events. It would all come to the end, everyone thought the event was over, and Steve Jobs would say, there is one more thing. <laughs> and so I say, and he probably borrowed that from preachers to begin with, right? But here we go, there is one more thing. You remember when I said, this is a tall order? And, and how are we to do this? I mean, is this even realistic? I want to help us see that the faithfulness that we are invited to live with toward one another is modeled, is empowered by our faith, God's faithfulness toward us. You with me? This, this sense of living out our faith in a group, this sense of being faithful toward one another, that as a person, of, 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 as a Christian, as a person of God, that, that that faith informs and has implications for how I see my neighbor, how I treat my neighbor, how we interact with one another, all of that is, is fueled by, and is motivated by, and is modeled by Jesus, and, uh, Jesus Christ's faithfulness toward us or God's faithfulness toward us. Because Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so the, this orientation toward others, this self-giving love that we're being drawn into is first modeled by Jesus. That the faithfulness of God toward us is our foundation for our faithfulness toward each other. And our corporate life is brought together in unity by Christ, who was first faithful toward us. And we can talk about that kind of in general terms all we want, right? We can kind of say, yay, God is faithful. Hmm, what does that actually mean, right? And, and, and so let's kind of put a little bit of flesh around that. Let's put a little bit of flesh on that. God's supreme act of faithfulness toward humanity 
is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, humbled himself, and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. I want to show you something that I think will blow you away. Okay? It's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. It's just a few pages back in your Bible if you want to turn there. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, We know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is, uh, this is Protestants' favorite verse. Because we are not saved by works, but by grace through faith. Right? And so Protestants are like, yeah, you're not saved by the things you do, not by your works. But you're saved by your faith in Jesus Christ, which we often interpret as right doctrine, proper belief, right? Intellectual exercise. Watch this. Well, this, is gonna, this is going to blow you away, okay? All right, so let's walk through it. At first glance, this appears to feed into the faith as belief motif, right? That we are justified when we think the right way about God. But... We've learned in this series not to think this way, right? So we now read it as a person is justified not by their works of the law, but through their trust in Jesus Christ, by their allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's better, right? That's a better reading. Now, look again at the footnote. At the footnote in your Bible, an alternative, and I would argue even better way of reading this verse is, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It's not our faith in Christ, it's the faithfulness of Christ by which we are saved. Come on, somebody. I know it's a holiday weekend, but you can be with me more than that. Okay, Paul is, in other words, not saying that we are justified by our effort option one, or our faith, option two, what Paul is pointing us to is, is the faithfulness of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That we are justified by the faithful one who became obedient even to death on a cross. You with me? So here, here let, me, let me put even more flesh around this if I can. In the first week, we learned that faith is trust. It's being all in with God even when we aren't sure what we believe about God, right? That's trust. Trust is being all in with God even when we're not sure, exactly sure about all the proper doctrines or what we believe about God. Today what I want you to see is that we are encouraged to be all in with God because God is already all in with you. <laughs> That's the thing I want you to see. That, we're, that, that our faith, our trust, our allegiance is a response to the faithfulness of God to us. And so Paul's declaration is not, you have two options. Either life is a scale and you better hope the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. And, or you better believe the right things or you're going to be in trouble. That's not Paul's options for the Galatians. Paul's declaration is that you are justified by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ toward you. 
to which he invites a faithful response, a response of trust and allegiance in this God who has so faithfully poured out his love for us and demonstrated it on a cross. Do you see this? This changes everything. One little word, my faith in Christ or the faithfulness of Christ, and it changes everything. And I, and I, want, and I want you to see that all this talk about our kind of operating in community with one another and how we treat each other and orientation toward we and not me, that's all modeled by, that's all fueled by the God who is faithful. And the supreme act of faithfulness is Jesus Christ on the cross. Love poured out for us that we are justified by the faith of Jesus. Blows me away. Well, let me say this. I hope that this series has been helpful to you. I hope that some things have shifted in your heart and in your mind as a result of some of these messages. But I also pray that we be a community, a local church that remains curious and is comfortable with the words, I don't know. May we be a community that is motivated by love instead of fear. And may we be a community that shows faithfulness to God and to one another as we practice our faith together. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us and give instructions for communion today. Heavenly Father, I have um, done my best to do this, this beautiful poem in Philippians, Justice. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, translate my words into the words that people need to hear. And God, that you would solidify this truth in our lives and in our hearts. And I pray that there would be something, whether it would be the, the reality of your faithfulness to us, whether it would be the encouragement of how we live and operate in community with one another and what our faith looks like in a group, whatever it may be, God, I pray that there would be something that would truly land in our hearts and in our lives that would form us and shape us more into your likeness. For God, that's what we want to be about. We, we love to gather together and we love to catch up on our week and spend time together and laugh and that is all good gifts from you. But we also, God, want to gather together to be formed as your people, uh, to be seekers of truth. And, and whether that means that we've been walking with you for a long time, or whether we're just filled with doubt, and we have no idea what this is all about, and we're just trying to work it out. Um, but Lord, we all want to be uh, pressing toward you and seeking truth, and so I pray that you would give us uh, discernment, and that you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. And God, as we gather around your table, I do pray that we would experience your presence. For Lord, we recognize that you are the acting agent at the table. We don't come in order to take, we come in order to receive. And so Lord, be active with us and meet us here at the Lord's table, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen.